Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Lara Bazelon says more mothers need to stop feeling guilty about their professional ambitions and recognize that having a career is not at odds with being a good parent. In fact, prioritizing work is good for kids, helping to instill independence and resilience. Bazelon, a law professor and mother of two, has a new book, Ambitious Like a Mother. And we want to hear from you. Have you found your demanding career to be good for your kids? Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The idea of the selfless mother and work-life balance are false gods, according to Lara Bazelon, and partly why so many moms still feel that ambition and motherhood are no more compatible now than they were decades ago. Bazelon, a law professor, criminal defense lawyer, and mother of two, spoke to dozens of moms across racial and geographic lines, cisgender and LGBTQ, and in a variety of jobs, who are both professionally ambitious and mothers, but they also shared something else, she writes, a reflexive rejection of the ambition label. Bazelon challenges that reflex in her new book, Ambitious Like a Mother, Why Prioritizing Your Career is Good for Your Kids. Lara Bazelon, welcome to Forum. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be with you. It's great to have you on. And I have to say, I really like the title of your book. Because besides immediately saying that being a mother and being ambitious are not in direct opposition or competition, it also in many ways makes being a mom the definition of ambitious. Absolutely. And I think too often we're told that when we become mothers, the best way to be a parent is to always put our children first and to kind of seed to this idea of parenting that offers up these curated images on social media of looking perfect and your kids looking amazing and having these beautiful vacations and everything being great and homemade snacks none of which is particularly realistic for most mothers who need to work and also want to work and what i'm arguing is that not only is there nothing wrong with that, there's a lot to be proud of in that desire and some great lessons to model for your kids. Yes. Can you talk about some of the research where you found that kids of parents who are career focused, moms who are professionally ambitious were not harmed and even that it was good for them? Yes, and I have to tell you that getting to the last chapter of this book, which is called The Kids Are All Right, I was nervous because I'm thinking, well, are they really all right? Or is this just my hopeful thesis? <laughs> but there is a lot of research that's been done on this question when mothers work full time, what happens to the children? And there was a study that was done by a Harvard Business School professor in 2018. She looked at 
over a hundred thousand of these families. And what she found was that the daughters of working mothers actually earned more and did better in their financial lives than the children of stay-at-home mothers, and that the sons of working mothers were more likely to believe in gender parity in the home and more likely to believe that it was also their responsibility to do some of the domestic tasks. And I don't say this to condemn people who want to stay at home. I think that's an absolutely legitimate choice. And I also think that women who are working full-time who are afraid that they're not giving the same level of care or not having the same kinds of successes in raising their children should not be worried about that. Yes, and that's what I meant earlier when I was saying that Ambitious Like a Mother also talks about how being a mom is a form of ambition. Um, Certainly, you need a lot of ambition uh, to be a good mom and to to want to be is, is a drive to succeed as well. Besides the data you you cite the research and studies that you cite the other piece of this that's really powerful in making that argument are the the people that you talk to so could you tell the story of diana for example the california esthetician who immigrated from vietnam and was a nail salon worker and her professional ambition ultimately having a really positive impact on her family Sure. Diana is someone who, who, as you say, emigrated here from Vietnam. She com- came here speaking no English. She actually learned how to speak English by watching Friends and also carrying around this huge dictionary in her backpack. And she ended up marrying her first and only boyfriend who she met in high school, who was also an immigrant. And they had two kids. And essentially what they realized was that it was going to make more sense for her to be the primary breadwinner and for him to mostly stay home and take care of their kids. And so she worked at a nail salon very hard, extremely long hours. And they were basically barely making ends meet. It got to the point where her job really took a turn for the worse, the the conditions got worse, the pay actually declined. And she decided to strike out on her own and start her own business by renting a room in a salon and basically being her own boss. And initially her husband was very nervous about this because of course it's it's a scary thing to go out on your own and be a small business woman or small business person. And she was able to sort of convince him that she was going to be able to do it. And what was wonderful for her was that all of her clients or many of them came with her and that when that would happen and they would call right after she started up this new job, her kids would see the phone ringing and they would be so happy and excited for her. And they were really seeing this, this gamble of hers pay off. And she's had her ups and downs through the pandemic for sure, but now she's busier than ever. And she's making more money than she did when she was incredibly unhappy, overworked and underpaid. We're talking with Laura Bazelon, who has written about how women are still trying to navigate professional ambition and motherhood and, and why it still feels incompatible, even though we are learning that it's good for kids. And I'm really curious, listeners, if you'd like to join the conversation and if you've had experiences where you found your demanding career to be good for your kids, or maybe you are the kid of a very professionally ambitious mother and you feel like that had a really positive impact on you. 866-733-6786 is the number, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum or email us forum 
at kqed.org. One of the reasons I ask is is that question to our audience is because as you alluded to earlier, and also in your book, you interview also a San Francisco mom, uh, Lori, who is an OBGYN who poured herself into her career. And uh, well, can you tell her story a little bit as well, both what Lori did and also what her son thought of what she did? Yeah, Lori Green actually delivered my daughter. She is an oh. extremely well-known OBGYN in San Francisco, and she's been in practice for decades. And she went to medical school at Harvard at a time when very few women were going to medical school. And she too decided after being part of a male-dominated practice, to strike out on her own with a female partner and start their own practice, which they did. And it's been incredibly successful. Lori is one of the most driven people I have ever met. And she worked oftentimes around the clock and she took some pretty interesting, what she calls shortcuts when her two children were little. And she also had a partner, a husband who was, you know, very much a believer in equality, although he was also a very hardworking physician. They, they had help too. They had people helping them. They had a nanny. I think though, what's funny is that, you know, her, her kids have a lot of admiration for her and her son, Ross, who I interviewed, he was telling me about the kinds of food that they would eat at home. They would have things like, you know, string cheese and raw carrots and, tortillas for dinner. And, you know, he thought that was delicious until he went to school and realized that the school lunch was actually better than what he was getting at home. And his takeaway was that it wasn't really about necessarily having this three course homemade dinner. It was about her work and how proud he was of her and her identity. And also that they were able to have fun as a family in their own untraditional way. And what he said as an adult is that he's turned to his mother at the worst times in his life, that she's the person whose judgment he trusts, that he's, she's the person whose resources he calls upon. Yeah. You say in your book, she spent nights at the hospital, missed sports games, a graduation, but that it never occurred to him that she should do anything else. And in a partner, he selects for people who are ambitious and driven. Well, we've got a call coming in from Savala. Savala and Richmond join us. Hi. Hi. I'm really enjoying this conversation as a working mom um, and as a, a woman who was raised by a single mother who worked incredibly hard um, and under duress, right, because she was a single parent. She was the only source of income for me and my siblings. And I recently asked her if, you know, if the cards had been different and she had won the lottery or she had married, you know, someone who was really wealthy, would she have, would she still have wanted to work and pursue a career um, or would she have, you know, preferred something kind of more leisurely, I guess you could say. And without skipping a beat, she said she absolutely would have still pursued her career, um, as an LCSW, and uh, that really struck me. She said, you know, it was a matter of self-expression and self-creation for her to, to have a, a demanding job as much as it was, you know, an imperative as the sole breadwinner for the family. And um, I relate to that, and I relate as a woman to um, valuing and wanting to claim and nurture my right to self-creation and self-expression through work, you know, if, if that is true for women, 
um, and for mothers, then I think we should we should value it. Savala, thanks. <laughs> Your mom sounds amazing. <laughs> Laura, I don't know if you have a comment for Savala. Just that you put that so beautifully. And I relate in a heartfelt place to what you said. I'm a single mother as well. And I don't get alimony or child support, although I have an extremely supportive partner in my, in my former spouse. And I'm just incredibly proud of the fact that I can provide for my kids. It's absolutely an imperative that I work. And it's also, it lights me up inside. It gives me joy. It gives my life a meaning and a purpose. And I think I've been able over the years to kind of show my kids that in a way mm. that resonates with them. So it makes me so happy to know that the same thing is true for you. We're talking with Lara Bazelon. Her book is Ambitious Like a Mother, Why Prioritizing Your Career is Good for Your Kids. And you, our listeners, can join the conversation. Email us, forum at kqed.org with your stories or questions. Call us, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. Have you found a demanding career to be good for kids? Have you felt pressure to put motherhood before your career or felt like you've had to subordinate your career uh, in favor of kids because you feared being seen as a quote bad mother or being a quote bad mother to your kids we want to hear it all on forum stay with us for more after the break i'm mina kim Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour with Lara Bazelon, a professor at the University of San Francisco School of Law, a writer, social justice advocate, former federal public defender in Los Angeles. Her new book, Ambitious Like a Mother, Why Prioritizing Your Career is Good for Your Kids, is out April 19th. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about navigating professional ambition and motherhood and why so many mothers still find it hard. 866-733-6786, the number to join the conversation. Get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Let me go to Toro in Richmond. Hi, Toro. Hi. Go right ahead. Okay. Yeah, so um, I think it's really good for kids to um, see that mothers um, can have a professional career. But um, I also wanted to make the point that I think it's very difficult because childcare is really difficult to come by. I come from Norway where every child 
has a right to child care and child child care is available to everybody regardless of how much money they make mm. and so um, I thought that that was a point that needed to be made in this conversation yeah where it turns out in in the US one out of four women go back to work in two weeks or less after giving birth and the vast majority of the women for whom that's true they have to do that in order to um, feed their children because they don't have access um, to a paid maternity leave. And then um, they end up working um, strange hours because they can't afford childcare. Yeah. Toro, thanks for, for raising that. And, and another listener writes somewhat similarly on Instagram, Caroline, lately it seems I spend so much time thinking about childcare for my two littles that I wonder if it's worth it, but I feel guilty because it has to be. I'm just such a better mom when I have the day to do work. I know I'm good at instead of mothering, which is such a chaotic land of Googling picky eating tips, rashes, and cocoa melon <laughs> videos. Um, it gets at this question of, so while you're giving us really good reasons and examples, Laura, that prioritizing a career is good for your kids, we aren't like it's not like that means we're all good right <laughs> and part of the reason of course which toro is getting at is systemically uh moms are not supported in the ways that they need to be a hundred percent and i'm so glad your caller pointed that out it is a scandal in this country what we have done to working parents and particular working mothers who are supposed to do the lion's share of the labor at home the fact that we have no subsidized childcare that the Build Back Better legislation that was promised to us is dead, that basically what we're being told is the government is not coming to save you, working mothers, while every other industrialized country has paid maternity and paternity leave, has decent childcare options. It's truly disgraceful. One upside of the pandemic, strangely, is that as much death and destruction as it wrought, it also really fundamentally changed the work landscape for many women in that it gave them the opportunity to prove that they could produce and be very efficient and effective and productive on a flexible schedule. Now, that is not remotely true for all women, but it is true for some women. And one thing that I really wanted to get across today is that I feel like we're at an inflection point. We have labor scarcity. We have a demand for labor that isn't being met. We have the chance, I think, to maybe dismantle structures that have not been working and say, I'm not going to take this job or I'm gonna leave this job and go somewhere else unless you give me flexibility. Because you're absolutely right that sometimes your hours are going to be strange and you're gonna have gaps in your childcare, particularly if you're not fortunate enough to, for example, live near your family. And bargaining for that, bargaining for flexibility, whether it's a different shift that's more consistent with your kids being at school, whether it is saying, I need to work half the time or most of the time at home, that's very, very important for women to be able to, to say with force and power. And because of, because of the track record of the last couple of years in terms of what we've been able to do under flexible conditions and because of the state of the market, I think this is a very important moment for women. Interesting, because also, as was pointed out so much, especially in the first couple of years of the pandemic, it was so often women who left their jobs when remote school became a reality and who was going to be the person who uh, who was going to stay home with the kids and so on. And that, of course, is in a more traditional setup. What you're describing in terms of basically 
um, mothers seizing their power right now to be able to say, okay, yes, this is the time, this is the inflection point where I can ask for more, is actually still a really hard task because one of the things that you learned is also just psychologically, a lot of moms are still conditioned not to ask for that and to still feel guilt about prioritizing the kinds of things they want to see in their professional life because they feel like it it is something that is not necessarily going to be beneficial for their own children. Uh, you yourself even talk about in your own personal story, still feeling as if motherhood and professional ambition were not compatible. So could you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I would actually love to hear if you want to share just your own personal realization of this. Sure. What you're saying is incredibly resonant and true. And it is very hard for women to advocate for themselves. Many of us have been socialized to be modest, to be self-effacing. I personally find it so much easier to demand things for my clients, for example, or my law students. I have no problem vigorously going to bat and arguing their value and their merit. But when it comes to myself, asking for what I deserve is incredibly hard. And I think that's true for a lot of women that this idea of owning your value and your ambition is somehow prideful or self-aggrandizing or unfeminine. And so we have to make that mental leap to get to the point of saying, it's none of those things. I should ask for, and I should get what I deserve. And I think I hope that this generation of women coming up is going to be able to really integrate that message into their lives. And I'm a little bit hopeful recently, one of the women that I profiled, Kenzie O'Keefe, when I started talking to her and her wife, they were considering getting pregnant. And then over the course of my writing a book, they did, and they had a baby. And at the same time, when the baby was about three months old, Kenzie was told, you need to go back to work full time. And her response was, if that's the condition that I'm gonna leave, I'm really good at my job. There are other opportunities out there for me and I don't need to stay under those conditions. I don't wanna be separated from my child eight hours a day. And she was able to make a case for herself, a very successful case for herself and work out an arrangement that was gonna work for her and her wife and their son. And it's examples like that that give me hope. And also looking at my female law students in particular, although the men too, because they're going to be partners and thinking, okay, we can reframe this paradigm and get people to step forward and really embrace what's rightfully theirs rather than feeling badly for asking for it. Well, let me go to Beth in San Francisco. Hi, Beth. Hi, um, thank you so much for this topic. I just wanted to chime in. I'm a nurse and I'm the single mother of a 16 year old daughter. And I've been a single mom since she was two. And, you know, I worked in intensive care and ICU like most of my nursing career and working sometimes 13 to 15 hours a day, three days a week. And, you know, even though like I still internally feel guilty, like I've seen the results of my daughter observing me and how. I really made a priority of my career and I, it's just really like she's growing into this really independent, empowered young woman. And I think for me, that is, that is a reflection of how, why my career is so important on top of being a mom. So that's, that's all I wanted to add. And just this topic has been amazing. So thank you. Well, Beth, thanks for, 
for calling in. Let me go to Jacob in Alameda. Hi, Jacob. Hi. Yeah. Um, just listening to all of this, I'm uh, I'm a son of a uh, doctor who, you know, she raised me um, really mostly in the hospital because she was in medical school when I was young. And, um, you know, she really struggled over the years with balancing that work-life balance of being a mother and um, kind of trying to forward her career um, kind of in the earlier years of, uh, you know, women as surgeons. And so it was really inspirational for me to kind of watch her um, try and balance that. And now having a child of my own um, and a daughter, I'm really trying to, uh, you know, prioritize my children while also, you know, furthering my own career in the medical field. So um, I just think this topic is really important. Hmm. Thank you. Jacob, thanks. I'm so glad that it was a positive experience. One of the things I am thinking about, Laura, though, is we also frequently hear stories of kids affected negatively by a mom's career focus or the absences that those that the career may have created. And I wonder how you explain that. Well, I think that what's really, really important is that your kids know that you love them and they feel the force of your love, mm. even if you're not physically present. And there was someone who wrote to me and kind of gave me this, this metaphor of like an electrical current that you can plug in at any time when you need it. It's there if you need it. And the, the people who I interviewed who had really estranged or complicated relationships with their working mothers, it tended to be not about the hours that the mothers put in, but I think just the struggle to connect and have a warm bond. And it, I thought was less about sort of the mother's working so much and more just about the nature of the relationship and their, their, their sort of, I guess the, the child's perspective that there just wasn't a lot of nurturing going on because what really matters, and this sounds a little bit, you know, corny, but what matters is, is quality and making those minutes count, even though they aren't necessarily the hours and hours that you could have hoped to put in. So I think that's a big part of it. It's about, you know, really making that time count, even if it's, for example, I mean, some of the most fun I have with my kids is driving them to and from school. Sometimes it's terrible, obviously, but sometimes we have great conversations, we're laughing. It doesn't have to be this like perfectly curated family dinner. You can be watching the office and laughing hysterically and having a family moment, but you need to have some of those moments. And I think when you always pick your career every single time and your kids feel like, they're just not a priority for you at all. That is a problem. You, you wrote at one point that work gave shape and purpose to your life, um, but because time is finite, deficits added up on the other side of the ledger. I missed family dinners, birthday parties, and yes, Halloween. My ambition was also a source of tension with my husband, Matt. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that um, because you also wrote a piece last year about divorce and how in another paradigm shift, it was an act of radical self-love, similar to the paradigm shift that you are making right now about professional ambition and motherhood. I do wonder like how you how you were able to not blame your professional ambition and career for the breakdown of your marriage. This is such a hard 
topic, but I think it's really important to talk honestly about it. And I do not mean to suggest for a moment that being an ambitious mother is incompatible with being happily married because I know many, many of those people. So I'm, I'm speaking to, to people like me who, who couldn't make it work. And I mean, just to sort of give you a sense that the breaking point came, I had been commuting for several years to a job in Los Angeles from San Francisco. And I was litigating a case with my law students of someone who had been wrongfully convicted in 1979 and was still incarcerated. And I had to retry that case because even though we had overwhelming evidence of my client's innocence, the district attorney's office refused to back down and do the right thing. And so that's when I missed the Halloween and some other occasions. And it was a very, very stressful time. And it was sort of the breaking point. He was exonerated in November of 2013. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the most unbelievable moments of my life. It was just a surreal experience to see him walk out of prison after 34 years. And six weeks later, we were separated. My husband and I were separated. And it just wasn't, I think, the way that that the marriage had been sort of conceived of once the kids came along. It was more this idea that there was going to be more balance or maybe even more stepping back. And if anything, I was more fired up. And I sort of realized this work is so important to me. It gives me purpose. It gives me meaning. I happen to be good at it. And I can't give that up. And I can't stay in a relationship where it's going to be a constant source of tension and friction. And it's, it's devastating because I didn't get divorced because somebody cheated or we were sick of each other. I was still very much in, in love with my husband, but I just felt that I was not going to be able to be my complete self and stay in the relationship in the way that it existed then. Yeah. Do you see a common thread between realizing that your career um, and also ending your marriage, realizing that the kids would be all right? <laughs> yes, that was a big source of comfort to me that from the beginning, our focus has always been on our children and on making things as comfortable and easy for them as we possibly can, knowing that having a divorced family isn't optimal. And so we just prioritize doing things as a foursome, it's interesting. We've taken family vacations post-divorce that are so much better than the ones that we took when we were married. We try to have meals together. We particularly did that during the pandemic when our kids really couldn't see anybody except for the two of us. And we just make it a point to try to be as generous and accommodating with each other as we can. He also has a very high powered, stressful job. It's not perfect, of course, we fight, but I think at the end of the day, we try to stay in this place of, we're here for our kids. We're gonna remake our family around our kids. And we're gonna make sure that they feel that they're loved and supported and the issues that we have, we'll deal with behind the scenes, not in front of them. And we'll also really always try to give each other the benefit of the doubt. And it seems that in the, I guess, like seven years that it's been, it's worked out pretty well for us. Yeah, well, I guess when I asked that common thread question, I was really struck in your piece that you wrote for the New York Times about divorce that you loved yourself you chose yourself and and i do wonder if in many ways that is also an important part of being a good 
mom? (laughs) Yeah, I think it is in the sense that I chose myself because I thought if I don't do this work that I'm so passionate about and makes me feel alive, a part of me will be empty and dead and my children will know it. And I won't be able to be as good of a mother because I'll be profoundly unhappy. And I think that children always know. They know the truth about their family. They know the truth about their parents. And I didn't think I was going to be able to pull off lying to them or to myself. We're talking with Lara Bazelon. The book is Ambitious Like a Mother. Lara is a law professor at the University of San Francisco School of Law. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation, 866-733-6786. And you're posting comments on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Let me read a couple now. This listener writes, I'm constantly wondering whether I should ask to be demoted to an individual contributor level instead of being a manager. Another listener writes on Instagram, I feel so guilty all the time if something goes wrong for my kids. I immediately think it may not have happened if I wasn't so burnt out. I love my work and I love my kids and I feel I can't do either responsibly. It is so striking, isn't it, Laura, that we're still having this conversation decades later when all of this was brought to the fore. (laughs) It is striking and I think that social media has made it worse. If I hear one more celebrity say that she's a hands-on mom whose kids always come first, I'm gonna start screaming. Or one more perfectly curated Instagram post of this absolutely gorgeous person who somehow still fits into their skinny jeans two weeks later. It's just not realistic and we need to stop listening to those messages. We'll have more with Laura Bazelon after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Lara Bazelon about our new book, Ambitious Like a Mother, Why Prioritizing Your Career is Good for Your Kids. And you, our listeners, are sharing if you have found that your demanding career is good for your kids or your own mom's professional ambition had a positive impact on you. You're also telling us if you still feel like it's really difficult to navigate those things. 866-733-6786 is the number. 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. And uh, let me go to Audrey in Los Angeles. Hi, Audrey. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting and important topic, but I also want to say that I feel the key thing in what makes this 
choice successful, or maybe it's not even a choice, just something that life throws at you, that you become, um, you know, you have to be a working mom and have your kids. I think the key that's been missing from this conversation to some extent is the distinction between working moms who have adequate childcare and support and working moms who don't. Because, you know, we've got to, we're talking about working moms who are surgeons and lawyers and doctors and nurses who have, you know, enough income and support to, to, to have, you know, resources to fall back on when their child needs something. But there's a lot of moms, um, and I was one of them, there's a lot of moms that don't have adequate childcare for the hours they need to work, that don't have adequate support to, hey, can you watch my kid while I go do whatever I have to do for my job? And that is a recipe for, you know, could be a recipe for disaster mm-hmm. because you do become burnt out. You do become too stressed to, you know, oh, yes, I can say I love myself, but I also need to watch out for my kid. And if you don't have adequate child support and uh, child care and support, it's not going to be these rosy pictures of, um, you know, hey, you can be a working mom and it's good for your kid. Yeah. My child did learn from me that, you know, there's, there's something to be said for working hard in your career and she became successful. But at the same time, I can't say that the, her childhood was good for me or for her because yeah. of the stress that's involved when you don't have the child care and support you need. And Audrey, I think that's the distinction that makes the difference. Yeah, Audrey, you are um, alluding to what we were saying a little bit earlier about systemically women are not supported in childcare, of course, and lack of available and affordable childcare is one of those things. And of course, Laura, you have cited also in the book, some really troubling numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics that women's workforce participation, that it actually peaked in 1999 and that it's been declining ever since. Um, Anyway, your reaction to Audrey and and whether or not you want to Talk about how, if what she's saying is contributing as well to this trend that we're seeing of fewer women in the workforce. 100%. And we were talking about this earlier. It's, it's shocking how little support we give to working mothers, particularly in blue and pink color industries where they're just not paid enough to have a full-time nanny or an au pair. They don't live near family and their daycare options are incredibly expensive. And then they're just stuck between a rock and a hard place and they are burnt out and exhausted. And I think it just points to so many systemic failures. And you and I were talking earlier about this pivot that we can make given the scarcity in the labor market, at least that's my argument, that some others are now better positioned to bargain in those industries too for flexible hours and schedules. I was talking to a job career coach for a very large company and she was telling me she counsels these women to absolutely be very aggressive about saying, I need this schedule. I need that schedule. I need this accommodation. And to also telling them there's plenty of other places that will accommodate you. One mom who had to step out of the workforce who I follow in the book for exactly those reasons told me that she looks on LinkedIn and she looks for the companies who are hiring, who are saying we are receptive to the needs of working parents and more and more, whether it's big corporations or mom and pop shops, they're realizing that that's what the market is demanding and it's a scarce labor market. But 100%, this is a huge issue. Well, Anna, Jana writes, and I, I hope I'm saying that uh, 
correctly, um, Jana, I wanted to ask if you are noticing any generational shifts with younger millennial parents. The fact that we are living in a climate crisis, a pandemic, and confronting perverse racism, life is short and so precious. And many of us are questioning the Protestant work ethic, which is so rooted in white supremacy when there are so many other vital social issues. Are you seeing younger parents reevaluate the priority of work as the sole arbiter of social value? I am seeing that. What I'm also seeing is this idea of purposeful work and also the importance of setting aside leisure time. And I'm not arguing that ambitious mothers should work themselves to the bone. That's definitely not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that if you are able to work hard enough and garner enough success and earn and demand flexibility, you can have a more, a more livable life. And I see in my students starting out in their careers, this need to work terribly, terribly hard to prove themselves. And I also hope that the path is easier for them than say it was for me, even though I had plenty of advantages because they're going to be coming up against various employers who are going to understand that the world has changed, that we don't need FaceTime for the sake of FaceTime, that a lot of things that used to have to be done in person do not have to be, that a lot of shifts that were set in stone don't have to be. And I think that this upcoming generation, because of all of the things that your listener said, they understand how, how precious life is. And also just that when you're unhappy, life can be very, very long and they don't want to be unhappy and they're not willing to put up with it. Some people say that the upcoming generation is spoiled and overindulgent, but I don't think so. I think that they're very much aware of the mistakes that have been made and the bad hand that's been dealt to them and they are pushing back. And I think they are going to push back far harder than the previous generations did. Well, let me go to Rachel in San Rafael. Hi, Rachel. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, for me, I have found it's not really a choice of my children or my career. I I have been successful in my career for them. Um, I know that uh, if I earn and if I um, give them the life that I want them to have, um, it's it those things just correlate. So for me, it's not one or the other. If I had left it up to sort of my um, ex husbands, um, I don't think we would have survived in the Bay Area. So for the choice wasn't really about exalting my career, but just keeping us afloat. And the other thing that I wanted to point out is that it's, um, you know, we don't really have this same kind of conversation for men, working men. It's not, we don't typically frame it as a choice of one or the other either. Mm-hmm. And that sort of sits kind of profoundly a little bit off with me, which, which understandably so. Um and then the other, the last point I'll make is is just that there's also on that sort of dichotomy. There's also an we also sort of praise stay-at-home dads, um, and and you know there is this idea that working mothers always feel guilty and and all of this. And while that's true, I think it's also systemic in terms of um, not necessarily uh, giving the same praise to stay-at-home moms as stay-at-home dads. Like somehow that's like a great. Um, evolution. Uh, And in some ways it is, and in some ways it isn't. And I think that's problematic for the working moms too, in terms of how society sees us. Rachel, thanks. I'd love to get your thoughts on that, Laura, just in terms of the way that men are treated around issues of professional ambition and parenting. I think that is a vital point, and I'm so glad it was made. 
a reader just sent me an email saying that he looked up motherhood and fatherhood in the dictionary. And I think this is very telling. They're both described, they're defined the same way, the state of being a mother, the state of being a father. But here's the sentence. You know how the word is used in the sentence in the dictionary? For a mother, quote, she juggles motherhood with a demanding career, end quote. For fatherhood, quote, the joys of fatherhood had softened him, end quote. <laughs> when men become parents, they generally are perceived in a more... Um, in a better way at work, they actually get a work bump. Sometimes they get raises or promotions. People tend to think, oh, well now they have a family to provide for and this is a wonderful thing. They tend to actually benefit from being fathers even though we know that statistically they, they do far less of the labor at home. Now, not all, but it's true for most men in heterosexual relationships. And whereas when women become mothers, there's often this perception of, oh, well, you're not going to work as hard or you're not going to be able to be as devoted to this particular project, just sort of this assumption that they're going to be less capable. And then I think the caller is absolutely right that stay-at-home mothers often are made to feel that it's not quote unquote real work, even though as every mother knows, it's the hardest work that there is. And stay-at-home fathers are exalted they don't even have to stay at home. They just have to take the kid to the grocery store and people are taking off their hats and bowing down. And I'm like, that's what the rest of us do all the time. It's called being a mom. Well, talk about your argument around the danger of basically giving into this whole idea of achieving an ideal work-life balance and that you can if you try hard enough to do that because that's also very much a threat of what Rachel was just saying about your that these things are in competition and so on. Um, I definitely bought that work-life balance myth hook, line, and sinker. And I didn't realize how indoctrinated I was until I started thinking critically about the magazines that I was reading. And this is how I survive the elliptical machine at the gym is that I consume rapidly things like People Magazine and Us Weekly. And they have the <laughs> same, I know, I know. I subscribe to three magazines, that and the New Yorker, guess which ones get read. And <laughs> I was just realizing that this message is getting pushed, that it's possible to just have this equipoise or everything. It's like a seesaw where it's perfectly balanced. And that is just complete myth. And there's no recognition of the fact that part of the beauty of motherhood is mess, that part of it is actually really messy. And this concept that if you just try hard enough, you'll find this balance. I ran around like a mouse in a maze, just booby trapped and dead ended thinking like, I'll just have to like find this magical Eden, this exit where I've walked this, this knife's edge. And it's not a real thing. What's a real thing is imbalance going in both directions. Every once in a while, you'll have this perfect moment of harmony. But most of the time, something's coming up and something's coming down. And what I say to burnt out and exhausted moms is, when you get to that place where you're so spent in one direction, that's when it's time to sort of turn in the other direction. But also you have to let yourself off the hook and realize that life isn't a perfectly curated series of Instagram stories and beautiful airbrushed pictures that we're all struggling with the same decisions and the same imbalances and the same mess. And I think that kind of 
seepage and acknowledging it is really important. And I think the truly beautiful picture is that one, not the airbrushed curated one. Yeah, you you talk about how we need to celebrate that we actually do give our kids something in moments of imbalance and, and maybe especially in moments of imbalance as well. Again, that it is something that can be good for kids. Um, well, Chris writes, the biggest elephant in the room is equity at work and home with all life's duties and expectations. I worked as a single mom of three and my grown kids understood I had to work. What made it difficult are the double standards. Dad-related work complications are admired, but mom-related work issues are a reason to not promote single moms and the list goes on. Again, we're talking motherhood and you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Leah writes, sorry to share that my own experience only bears out half of your guest thesis. My mother was a journalist who traveled, wrote, and published extensively. Perhaps because of that, I went on to pursue my own career and become a lawyer. Her absence during my childhood, however, left long-lasting wounds, which thanks to decades of therapy, I've been able to heal. And it was not the missed school plays that had the negative impact. It was her lack of awareness of what was going on day to day and her focus on her success, which imprinted the sense that I was just not worth her time. We touched on this a little bit, Laura, but I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, this this hurts. And I, I completely understand this feeling. Recently, I had this really interesting experience with my kids. This was during the pandemic when I think we all felt like we were doing a terrible job at absolutely everything. At least I did speaking for myself. And I had this strange experience where my law students and I were litigating a, another wrongful conviction case. This one was in Louisiana and um, the prison started allowing Zoom visits and, and our apartment's pretty small. So I was working in the kitchen and my kids would come in and out and they got to know my client, Utico. And he became kind of part of our lives and he loved interacting with them and they loved interacting with him. He found their, their joyfulness and their youth and joking with my son about sports and talking to my daughter about TV to be a huge part of what was keeping him alive during this really dark time. And then for a variety of very dramatic reasons, the case took a couple of turns and I was able to go down for the hearing in where he was exonerated and it was on Zoom and my kids watched. And it was just incredibly meaningful to me to have my kids there watching this happen. And then a couple of months later, we all came down to celebrate his turning 28. And it was just an experience where I felt that I was able to drive home the importance of them of the work that I was doing, but the importance of them to the people I was working towards, like that they played a role, that their lives were intertwined in this way that ended up being incredibly affirming hmm. and beautiful. And I think making them a part of what was happening, even though that was never my intention, and I worried that it was sort of unprofessional and only happened because of Zoom, ended up enriching everyone's lives. And they were really able to be there with me in, in a fundamental spiritual sense when I was litigating. And then ultimately when I brought them down there to meet him in person. Well, we've got some more comments that I want to read. This has really struck a chord with listeners. Keith writes, my mom was a teacher librarian when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s when working career moms were not that common. I thought that was great. I looked up to her. She increased our family's disposable income and so we could afford private music lessons and other enrichment programs, yearly travel to California to spend time with family, and later even tuition at USF. I never regretted being a latchkey kid. I learned to become a good cook. I had free time after school to explore my hobbies and activities. 
I learned responsibility. Elizabeth tweets, My mother got her MD in 1943. She always worked, as did my mother. She had help living when we kids were young. My mother was a terrible cook, but we ate. I missed having a cuddling mom, but from an early age and forever, she was a role model, and I was and am so proud of her. So proud in all caps there. And Maya writes, I wanted to share that I remember the Olympic beach volleyball player Carrie Walsh Jennings saying that it was always her dream to be a working mom. That quote rang so true for me and has struck has stuck with me for years. My mom was an inspirational working mom, and now I strive to be the same in my career that I love as a marine biologist while caring for my two young boys. It is hard to do both things well, but so rewarding on those few days things work out. Well, Laura Bazelon, one of the things that I, I find amazing that for decades we're still asked the question, how do you make it all work? I bet you get asked that a lot. Really curious how you answer now after going through this whole process <laughs> looking at this book. I do get asked that. I'm sure you get asked that. Every mother gets asked that. And of course, no one ever asks the dads. And what I say is, it's like an old jalopy. You piece together various things and somehow it runs in its own funny, eccentric, very cool way. Yeah. I don't make it work like an airbrushed picture. I make it work because I keep it real. Uh, yeah, I, I often say I don't even make it work. It just is. Like you exactly. Just do, you just do what you can. I'm going to borrow your answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Laura Bazelon. It was great to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. And my thanks to Susie Britton for producing today's segment. Forum is also produced by Judy Campbell, Ariana Pereira, Bronca Torres, Grace One, and Caroline Smith. Cesar Saldana is our engagement producer. Susan Britton is lead producer for the 10 o'clock hour. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.